Well, that was a, a song that's been sung in a whole bunch of weddings that uh, Stephen Curtis Chapman wrote. Um, but we've, uh, this weekend, we've had what we call Marriage Enrichment Weekend. Now, um, every uh, Thursday night, there's a group that called Relationships Matters, and uh, you can go anytime, and it meets in our community center, led by Barb and Tim George, and, and you can get relationship skills, marriage skills, help. That's kind of like the, the faucet that's always on. You can turn it on anytime you need it. Uh, but a couple times, uh, at least once a year, we want to not just turn on the faucet, we want to turn on the fire hose. So you may have been here a year ago when we had Ken and Beverly Jenkins, and some of you may have been a part of the marriage conference we had then, and then this weekend we had Marriage Enrichment Weekend. Several couples were a part of that. Uh, my wife and I went, man, I loved it. I, I am, uh, promised my wife in front of all the people there that I'd be a better husband. So you help, me, you help me do that, okay? You tell me, hey, are you being a better husband? And I learned a lot. I was really, really helped by, uh, by what happened um, in that room uh, Friday and Saturday. Well, uh, the, the couple that led that is Michael and Jen Downs. Michael and Jen uh, uh, pastor a church on the eastern shore of Maryland. And Michael, uh, is, and I've known Michael for a very long time, and he's one of my closest friends. And here's, here's what I've found. That when you like something or somebody, you eventually tell other people about them because you want them to experience what you know. And so I wanted you to meet someone that I love and that I like uh, and be influenced by them. Uh, is my friend Michael Downs. And so he's going to come and he's going to talk to you about marriage. Now, if you're divorced, if you're single, if you've been burned, if you hate marriage, if you're thinking about being married someday, this is a day for you. In fact, we're calling it Marriage Sunday uh, to help you uh, with all of that about marriage. So what I want you to do right now is I want you to welcome Michael Downs to real life. Can you do that? What a blessing to be back and to share with you guys again. And as I said in the first service, uh, Tim just rocked it. That was great. And uh, love that old song. And, and your rendition of it is beautiful, beautiful stuff. And you guys are blessed. You have a uh, fantastic pastor, fantastic worship, um, a lot of great people that I've met over the last few days. And, and we've been here a few times. My wife and I have actually been here a few times. And I've actually preached here once before. And so thank you for uh, not throwing stones when I walked up here. Uh, that was great. So um, today I'm going to talk to you about how your marriage can thrive. You can have a relationship that's completely thriving, not just a relationship, but a thriving relationship. And so the disclaimer kind of, Pastor Scott said, uh, if you're single, you, you don't need to be married to be whole. So anybody that's told you that today, that you need to be married to be whole, you slap them in the face and run away, Okay. Um, don't, don't really do that, but do run away. Uh, you, you don't need another person to make you whole, and I'm going to talk about that in just a second. Uh, if you plan to get married someday, there can be some solid advice here for you. So I expect you to take copious notes right until you get a cramp in your wrist. Um, this is your day. Uh, but for everyone, you don't look for someone else to make you whole. Wholeness for everyone comes in a rela relationship with Christ. And then that's it. So we look for Christ to make us whole. And then when we're married, we bring a person that's whole and another person that's whole in Christ together. And that's what it is. So don't, don't go looking for someone to make you whole. You will be very disappointed because you'll find out really quickly they did not make you whole, right? Because they were flawed like you. And sometimes also when we're married, then we go, if we just had kids, we would be whole. And then you find out real quick, that didn't do it either. And in fact, they might remind you, you have a lot of holes in your life, right? Mom, dad, you're so stupid. 
Um, <clears throat> maybe they don't say it that way. Maybe they do. Um, but don't, don't go running to anything other than Christ to make you whole today. Can we agree with that? So wholeness is found in Christ alone. And then we bring our wholeness found in Christ with others, and we do the same. Uh, so we did have a great weekend of marriage enrichment with several couples here. I see some of you uh, again this morning. It's great. We had such a great time and bonding with those families and uh, seeing Jesus move in powerful ways among us. And uh, you got a lot of great, great people in this church. And I applaud you for taking time out of the rhythm of the year to make it where you see the Holy Spirit move in your marriages. The world is desperate to see the church get marriage right. They are. They're just desperate for it. Because the world already knows they don't got it right. That's bad English, but it worked, okay? All right. Let's pray real quick together. Father God, we just pray right now that you would inhabit the, the time of this uh, short sermon. And would, they, would we just hear you move through this time? Would you take the words of my lips and just make them be yours? And I don't want to have anything to do with this, Lord, just other than being a hand that you use a face that you use, but Lord, may the words be yours. May our minds and our hearts be receptive to your scripture. When we open your word, you teach us every time. So would that happen again, that this is a time when we feel you move in us because we've delved into your word and we've asked your spirit to move. Lord, you are faithful. and We thank you. We know you're going to move in us. We pray in your name. Amen. So earlier we sang a song that said, uh, love never gives up on me. You know that song, your love never fails, and never gives up. We just sang it. So uh, some of you did. We just sang that song. And in that song, when we sing that, that's a great thing to the Lord. He never gives up on us. Isn't that powerful? That he never gives up. He's constantly pursuing us and calling us. And we will make mistakes and we will, we will err huge. We'll sin. And he never gives up on us. He's constantly beckoning us to something greater than we are. Well, what if that could be said about you in marriage with your spouse? My spouse never gave up on me. They never let me go. They were always there. It'd be great to be able to have on your tombstone someday uh, when you are, are gone and people are going to say all kinds of great things about you someday. Some of them will, some of them will even be true. Uh, when, when they're talking about you, when you're up there, and that they would say, you know what I love about that person? They never gave up on me. Wouldn't that be great as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus Christ, to have someone say about you, they never gave up on me? Wouldn't that be great in our marriages if we could say that about each other? Or parents saying that about your children. You know, you've been tempted as a parent, maybe. You say, I just, I'm done. That's from the enemy, Right? Never give up and pray that God will give you the strength to be able to do that again. So just ponder that today as we jump into Matthew chapter 19, Matthew 19. Uh, hopefully you brought your Bibles with you. This is a church. Uh, if you didn't bring your Bibles with you, what do you think we were going to do today? So there we go. All right, Matthew chapter 19, here we go. When Jesus had finished saying these things, he left Galilee and went down to the region of Judea, east of the Jordan River. Large crowds followed him there and he healed their sick. So some Pharisees came and tried to trap him with their question, this question, should a man be allowed to divorce his wife for just any reason? Now here's, here's the funny thing. Have you ever noticed that in Scripture there are these conflict moments where the Pharisees show up? 
they're always like, it's time to pay attention when you see the Pharisees show up. You're going to learn something, right? Because they're going to come and they're going to try to trick Jesus. That's their goal. They really want to make Jesus look bad in front of the crowds. So they've, they've thought for a little while. They've talked for a little while. And they're like, hey, I got a really good one. I'm sure they've even had a conversation like, here, let's come up with the 10 best questions to ask Jesus. Let's see who trips him up today. And, and they always leave confused and frustrated. Well, this is one of those times where that happens. So they say, should a man be allowed to divorce his wife for any reason? Now, why is this question a big question? It's a big question because in their culture, they are allowed to divorce and just walk away from things. Um, and, and we're going to talk about that in just a second. And, and the people that were there to hear Jesus, many of them were divorced. Many of them were frustrated. And so they knew already that if Jesus appealed to the law, that he would look bad. If he also tried to acquiesce and say, well, divorce isn't a big deal, he's going to look bad to the religious people. So they've already figured out we've got him trapped. So this is a trapping question. They're really proud of themselves. Have you ever watched a debate on TV? I'm saying, I've heard that there's candidates sometimes where they debate. And um, not recently, because there's not any. But, um, <laughs> sorry, I didn't, yeah. <clears throat> um, but sometimes they ask these zinger questions, and this is one of those zinger questions. So they ask that of Jesus, and then in verse 4 he says, haven't you read the scriptures? I love that reply. Jesus turns it back on the guys who teach law for a living, and he says to them, haven't you read the Bible? I mean, that's like an ultimate slam, right? Like we have this picture of Jesus as this cuddly bear, and he loves everybody, and there's sometimes he's really rough. This is one of those rough ones. Because they're trying to hurt the sheep, and the shepherd protects the sheep. And this is a shepherd protecting the sheep moment. And he won't put up with the wolves hurting the sheep. So he comes at them, and he goes after them in this, and he says, haven't you read the scriptures? This is Jesus talking. They record that from the beginning, God made them male and female. And he said, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and their two are united into one. Since they are no longer two, but one, let no one split apart what has God has joined together. Right here, he already starts talking about the intention of marriage. Who brought them together? God brought them together. God brought them together. In a perfect scenario, God brought you two together. And, and especially now, from this moment on, God can bring you and your spouse together. Some of you that are just out there dating or thinking about getting married someday, I, I highly advise if you want to be married, be praying about that subject. You don't want to marry just any old person that comes along. Marriage is rough with good people. So, so don't get married to a bad person. There you go. Okay. That was, the, that was huge news for someone in this room right now. Um, some of you might be sending that to your kid. Your pastor said don't do that. Um, I told you to break up with him. Um, but inside this, when Jesus is teaching this, he's bringing us back to Genesis, the origination of the family and the concept of all this. And, and part of this is all happening when, when Adam is naming all the animals and he's got all the animals here and here and here and here and here. And he's just naming animals. I mean, how long did that take? That was a long time. Aardvark. To zebra, that's a lot of animals. 
And, uh, and so just, just ad nauseum. Well, there's no companion for him. Do you notice that? There's nobody that's connected to him. And so the Bible in Genesis 2 says that he brought Adam out into his sleep and took one of his ribs and created a woman from the ribs and, and brings out the woman. And, and most of our modern translations really lose the text of what Adam says. Adam says, at last, when he sees his wife-to-be. He's never seen her before, and he just sees her, and he's like, hey, God, you done good. <laughs> you done real good. You know, he's happy in this moment. He's like, I was kind of nervous that I was just going to be this single farmer with a lot of animals that don't get along. But he was excited. So he kind of throws this out there and kind of says, this is the intention of our Lord that they would be together, that the man and the wife would come together and there would be this family joined into one. I'll talk more about that in a second. So does that make the, the Pharisees shut up? Of course it doesn't. Um, idiots don't always be quiet. So this is one of those times that they still have something more to say. So they figure out that they're going to be able to still trap him. They said, then why did Moses say in the law that a man could give his wife a written notice of divorce and send her away? There you go, Jesus. I just told you, right? They, oh, man, they're so proud of themselves in this moment. And Jesus kind of looks at him and he's like, really? Jesus replied, Moses permitted divorce only as a concession to your hard hearts. Verse 8. That's the only reason it ever came about. Because of your hard hearts. For thousands of years, people have had hard hearts. We are not the first generation to have a hard heart. The good news is that the scripture tells us that God can take away our heart of hardness and replace it with a heart that beats for him. A heart of flesh. So I encourage you even today, maybe when your heart has been hardened towards your spouse, that you would get a new heart today, a heart from Jesus that beats for your spouse and says, oh, I need to love you like Jesus does. And so in this moment, he says that it's because of your hard hearts. But it was not what God had originally intended. Going back to God's design was that marriage would work. That was his heart for you. That was God's desire for you. When you guys stood at an altar and said, till death do us part, it was more than we're going to live in the same house and not kill each other. It was bigger than that. Right? There was something powerful about that. He says, I tell you this, whoever divorces his wife and marries someone else commits adultery unless his wife has been unfaithful. And Jesus is like, it's just really rare that we're ever going to say that you should be getting out of a marriage. Because the intention is that marriage is forever. That's God's design. In verse 10, the disciples then said to him, if that's the case, it's just better not to marry they knew, they knew the culture, and they're like, maybe people just shouldn't get married because they're not getting along, right? They're just not doing it. Well, is that the church's response, or do we believe there's something more? Here's what I know is that when we are people of God, we can live out the intentions of the God that we serve. Amen? When we're people of God, we can live out the intentions that God has. God has called you to go out into 
uh, Portage and the surrounding areas and, and be a blessing to the community. And you guys do that, right? You can do that. Now, many people don't. Many people know the call from God, and they just kind of sit there, and they're like, I hope someone does it. Or maybe they don't even hope. They're just kind of like, meh, they're there because they deserve it. And we don't step into the hope of Christ. The hope we have in Christ is living out the hope of Christ. And he gives us hope, and he redeems us. And so we're going to talk more about that. So I want to go back to the concept of one. When you heard that concept of one, what does that mean? One is companion. She was created as his companion to walk through life together. You're sharing life together. It's so much bigger than we're sitting on a couch and we both have our tablets open and I'm watching Netflix and she's watching a different show on Netflix and we're at least there together. Isn't that romantic? That's like living in the same house, right? Some of you are like, that's our best day. Um, try for bigger. Right? Companionship. We're sharing life together. We're experiencing stuff together. Have hobbies together. Do things together. It's powerful. You remember when you were first dating ladies and you didn't know even what the cubs were? You thought it was at the zoo? <laughs> and then he's like, would you like to go to game with me? And you only went because you wanted to be with him. And then somewhere along the way, he invites you to a game because he wants to experience it with you. And your response is, I don't want to be there. You go because you want to have life together. Guys, there's a thing called a shopping mall. <laughs> and when you were dating and she said, I want to go shopping, you would be like, oh, this is great. I just want to be with you. And you'd walk around and that was just great. And you didn't care. And then somewhere down the road, you were like, I really don't need to do this ever again, <laughs> ever, right? Like someone sees you and, you know, guys have that thing when they drive by each other in the shopping mall. See ya. It's like motorcycle drivers. <laughs> I see you over there. It's a mess, right? But you go because you love your wife. Now, I'm not saying every time. Just, just try it, though. Companionship, we're sharing life together. We have a heart connection then there's this physical connection. God created sex. And everyone said, amen. amen. Guess what? The devil did not create sex. He didn't, it wasn't his idea. It was God's idea. God did it for enjoyment and fun together. And that's actually my next thing is, what is oneness? Is enjoyment. You're having a good time together. You remember when you used to laugh and do things and you would be on a date and you would put... Uh, something on her nose, like whipped cream or something, and just be silly, and she'd be like, oh, that was so cute, chocolate on my face. <laughs> and now you do something like that, and they're like, I told you he hates me. <laughs> you know? It's like totally different meaning all of a sudden, you know? Um, have a little fun. Uh, this is good stuff. If, yeah. Those of you that went to marriage enrichment, we, we expand on this a lot more, you know? We talked about some other stuff. So, um, yeah. John Wesley said, uh, the Sabbath and marriage were two ordinances instituted in innocency. I still can't say that word. Innocy. Innocent. Say it with me. When you are innocent. There you go. The former for the preservation of the church and the latter for the preservation 
of mankind. That God created the Sabbath and marriage before the fall. So today you're here, you're practicing Sabbath, congratulations, you're getting that right. Try that every week, because that's the design. It's actually one of the Ten Commandments, not Ten Suggestions, it's a commandment. That we Sabbath, we, we set apart time for God and God alone to recharge spiritually and keep connected to Him. It's huge. So also inside of that is marriage. Marriage was designed originally to be something that would last forever and be great. And there were all these things that were, were togetherness. And we had unity as couples. And we believed in each other. And there was greatness when it was started. The fall came along. And we allowed it to destroy and pervert marriages. Don't fall victim to that lie. Believe that God's design is your marriage to make it. If you still have your Bibles, Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 21, talks a lot about our relationship with Christ and one another. So many times you hear denominations will open up and say, uh, verse 22, where it talks about wives submit to your husbands, and the guys are like, yeah, I talk that, I like that, that's good. Um, but it actually starts a verse before that, verse 21, and it says, and further submit to one another, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. We're submitting to each other so that the other person will know Jesus better. I am a servant, right? Jesus talks about washing our feet. That goes for our spouse. That I, I submit to you so that you'll know Jesus. I lay down my will in marriage. If both people are fighting for their will, how long is that marriage going to last? How long is it going to be good? God's design is not, not that you occupy the same house and then you say, we did it. We survived 50 miserable years together. <laughs> oh, but we never divorced. He wants you emotionally connected, physically connected, spiritually connected, not just in the same house. That's not victory. We're called to have victorious lives. So it says, submit to one another. And then wives, this means submit to your husbands as the Lord, as for, a fam for a husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the savior of his body, the church. And the church submits to Christ. So your wives, you must submit to your husbands in everything. And then all the men are like, yes, I love that passage. Oh, that's so good. And a lot of denominations stop there because they think that's the only thing because men, you know, it's like all about us. Yeah. And then what we don't realize is there's twice as many verses now for the man. So keep reading. The chapter's not done. Paul, you betrayer of men. <laughs> Verse 25. For husbands, this means you to love your wife. Just as Christ loved the church, he gave up his life for her. I mean, he died for her. So husbands, love your wives that way. You die for her. For a purpose, by the way, to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without a spot or wrinkle or any blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body but feeds and cares for it, just as Christ cares for the church. And we are members of his 
body. We. Verse 31, as the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. You hear that again, that united into one. They leave everything else to become united. You are the same person. You're not, but you are. There's no more going back. Picture cutting off your arm to walk away from your spouse. Make it a little more difficult, wouldn't it? Like, you're going to get a divorce? Well, I'm out of arms. You know, we, may, we got to make it tough, not just a piece of paper. That's not the intention. And he says, this is a great mystery, but it's an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So again, I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Let me say something real quick to the wives. There's much research now that shows, secular even, that the number one need of the man from his wife is respect. Respect. So be careful with the words that you use. If they're always tearing down and always telling him about what a bum job he does, and his number one need is respect, it sets him up for danger. Because there will be someone that will come alongside him and say, boy, you're doing a really good job. And they'll say something, and it may not be beautiful and all that, but it can pull his affection in a different direction. You want to be the one that respects him and cherishes him and loves him in spite of the faults. And men, your wife needs to be pursued and loved and cherished like you did when you first met her. It wasn't the kind of thing that when you finally got married and you're like, hey, I told her I loved her when we got married. It's good enough now. 25 years. She knew I loved her. I never told her different, you know. She needs a little more than that. <laughs> right, women? So pursue her. Let her know you still love her. You choose her above all the other ladies out there. Still, you're together. We're one. And I'm trying to give you like eight hours worth of information in 30 minutes. It's pretty tough, but you get the idea here. So God's design for marriage is that we celebrate faithfulness together. We cheer, and that's what's cool about this church. You're celebrating faithful marriages, and we want to uphold that as good as you can for as long as you can. We want to celebrate that there are faithful marriages, and there's good things. Also, too, that you have someone who will walk with you through life. It is a treasure to know that someone would dare to know you and walk with you through life. It's special. It's sacred. God walks with you through life, and it's powerful to know that there's a person that knows you and walks with you through life. You want that. God's design for marriage is to encourage a person who knows you and believes in you because they see who you are and who you can be. They know who you can be and they call you to something greater. And inside that, you want to have someone who pushes you to grow closer to Christ. Are you a spouse who's pushing the other person to grow closer to Christ? Say, honey, we need to be at church we need to be people of God. We need to live out what it means to be disciples. We need to be pushing each other to love Jesus Christ and the ways of Jesus Christ inside our home, for our children, for each other, the goodness we find in one another. And then the last piece on that is that we leave a legacy of kingdom followers. That's God's design is that those that come behind you are Jesus followers because they knew you. Are your, are your children choosing Jesus because they saw the way you loved one another? 
Are they excited about marriage because they saw the way that mom and dad loved each other? You can change that. You can make that be powerful in their life, a great part of their narrative of their life. It's huge. So as you have that, leave a legacy of kingdom followers for everyone who knows you and you're influencing them. So I told you about Thrive, and I want you to make acrostics. So those of you that have pens and paper, this is your time to take just a couple minutes to write out the word Thrive. If you don't know how to spell the word Thrive, um, it's probably a bad day for you. So uh, I'll, I'll give you each letter as we go. Someone here is like, oh, that was so much pressure. T, trust. Relationships that thrive have trust. Like no other relationship should have. We should trust one another and have trust in our relationship with our spouse. No one else should carry that kind of trust. You, want, you don't want to find it in someone else. But you trust your spouse. If your trust is broken, here's the good news. We have a redemptive God who can change that story. And you can rebuild trust, but it may take time. But you can rebuild it, and trust is important. H is humor. Humor. It's important to laugh together, right? To have fun together. God's the originator of fun. And we loved it when we were dating, and we would laugh and have a good time, and then all of a sudden something about life, and we started getting too casual with each other, and we just quit having fun together. And you watch couples, and they're eating together, and they're sharing the same space at a dinner table. They're not talking. They're not laughing. They're not anything. And they're just eating And they look miserable because some people are. Have fun together. Laugh together. Do something together. Uh, just find fun again. Humor. R is redemptive. Marriages should be absolutely redemptive. We will make mistakes. We will blow it. We will say things we never meant to say. Sometimes we'll say things we did mean to say. We'll be terrible to each other. But we need to remember to redeem that and ask for forgiveness and come to, to each other. So forgiveness is huge. Mercy and compassion and grace should be oozing in our homes. If you want to have a thriving relationship, you need to be a person that understands that Christ forgave you and you're called to be a forgiver. Redeeming, also meaning to make new what was broken. So if your marriage is broken today, you can be redeemed because of Jesus. Can we get an amen on that? Amen. amen. All right. So forgive, mercy, compassion, grace. I, intimacy. Uh, sex is good. So there you go. Uh, but you also have intimacy. Some of you are wondering. I was like, is that good? Yeah, God created it. Uh, intimacy, you want to be heart deep in your connection with one another. So it's more than just a physical act, but that there's this heart deep connection of intimacy. You trust them. You believe in each other. You have connection with each other. Amen? Amen. There's intimacy. We shouldn't be running to anything else to find intimacy than our spouse. It should be found in them. V is vibrancy, and it has an A in the middle, for those of you that are really trying to spell, uh, which is bringing your best energy. Your spouse should get your best energy. Your God should get your best energy. And yet, in our culture today, we so often give our worst to God and our worst to our spouse and we wonder why in the world our marriages are falling apart, our relationships are falling apart, our churches aren't completely full. It's because we give our lame to the things we say we care about the most. Let's have vibrancy again with our energy. Bring your best to your spouse. Bring your best 
to Jesus Christ be vibrant in your life. And then E, encouraging. Encouraging. You should be your biggest, your, your spouse's biggest cheerleader. Encouraging them, believing in each other. The Bible says we encourage one another until the day of our Lord Jesus Christ's return. That also means not just people in the church, but each other, scripturally. My wife, my children, I should be encouraging them to success. Let's figure this out. If nagging hasn't worked yet, try something different. <laughs> Biblically, we should be encouraging one another, believing in one another, and lifting each other up. So thrive, trust, humor, redemption, intimacy, vibrancy, encouraging. God's design is that you have a marriage that thrives in his name and in his power. You just have to hand it to him and say, Lord, would you renew us today? And he will. Can I pray for you guys before we go? Father God, I just pray that you would help us all to have marriages that thrive, that are focused on you and, and you alone. And when there's brokenness in a room, Lord, I pray that you would start mending the pieces together of brokenness, bringing them wholeness. Lord, I pray that we would be people who get back to your original intention for marriage, that it would last, not just occupy space, but be a vibrant, growing relationship. Help us to thrive, Lord, as you've called us to. Help us to forgive, offer mercy and grace. Help us to receive mercy and grace from you today. Lord, would your church reflect your intention? We pray in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, amen. amen. That was great. Yeah. We always, uh, we leave you with a blessing every week. So I want to invite you to stand with me, if you would, and give you a blessing. I want you to know something. Um, anytime you do something as a follower of Jesus, it's always in response to what God's already done for you. So I want you to know, did you know that God trusts you? God believes in you more than you believe in yourself. God does it. God has a sense of humor. He doesn't take you that seriously. Uh, God redeems you, God forgives you, God has grace and mercy for you. God uh, is, wants to be close to you, intimate with you. He wants to, he wants to give you energy, vibrancy. Uh, God's spirit is a gift that's deposited in you to encourage you every day. Did you know that, right? So you can take that and translate that into your m marriage, into your relationship. So here's, here's, let me make this practical for you. Which one of those uh, P-H-R-I-V-E, six things uh, are you going to do? Which one are you going to do this week? Pick one, right? What are you, which one are you going to do? And I want you to just, I'm going to say, we're going we're gonna to do something together, okay? If you're married, or if you're seriously dating or engaged or whatever, uh, we're going to say this out loud. Say, this week I am going to, and then you say that word you're going to work on for the next seven days, okay? You ready? Here we go. This week, uh, hang on, wait, I'm, I'm, I'm not doing a good job leaving you here. So we'll say, this week I am going to blank. Ready? Here we go. This week I am going to, there you go. Okay, good. So we leave you with a blessing. So people hold out their hand. You'll see them doing that. That's their way of saying, I want that in my life. And if you're comfortable with that, receive this blessing. And may you know the love of God for you that makes you thrive and that can make your marriage thrive. You're sent now to love God, to love people, especially your spouse, the people that God gave you for life. Um, you're sent uh, now to do that and to serve the world in his name. Hug somebody, tell them you love them. See you next week.